Hello, and welcome back to 10 terabyte hard drive. My name is Joe, and this episode is on Roman Polanski's The Palace. Uh, I don't know if you can tell by the tone of my voice, but... Oh, my word. Um, that is certainly a motion picture. And Jean Roland's The Grapes of Death is 1978. Regional zombie movie, I'd say. Um, a tremendous film. Not to totally spoil my opinions of it. As per usual, I'm joined by my regular co-host, Gareth, who you'll hear in a moment. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> quite the contrast in terms of films. I mean, the obvious um, stylistic things, you know, going from the sort of gritty, rural, um, 35 millimeter cinematography of the genre land film, you know, where we're catching things that are natural, you know, that feel spontaneous, that feel lived in, compared to The Palace, which is a frankly risible piece of work uh, that is all plastic and tacky, chintzy qualities, with a, not one surface in the movie coming across as real, which some may suggest is a positive. I would suggest that it is... Uh, it's a choice. It's definitely a choice. A positive one? Not for me to say just yet. Anyway, thank you for, for listening and joining us this week. You can find the films that we discuss on the podcast in the uh, link below. Uh, you can also find a link uh, to next week's episode's uh, films. Uh, I always like to think that it'd be good if people watch beforehand, if you've got the time. If not, no big deal. Uh, we don't really do huge spoilers on this show, so you know anyone can really listen and enjoy it. Um, and yeah, you can email us at 10tbhardrivepod at gmail.com. We've got the Instagram down there as well. As well. You've got our Twitter accounts as well. Anyway, enough waffling, enough plugging, enough of that crap. Let's get into it. Uh, Roman Polanski's The Palace and Jean Roland's Grapes of Death. Funny it's funny that uh, that thing of what you're talking about with that Persona soundtrack um, in relation to, like, it, it sort of captures certain parts of a thing that you remember being good whilst not quite being the same thing. And I kind of, mm. I don't know, it, it's, always, it's always a bit of like this trap, isn't it? That sort of thing of the... Um, that sort of pleasure button they're trying to hit of this is kind of like the thing that you you enjoy right and you're like yeah yeah kind of but and uh, not really um, I don't know I, th- I think that it's quite an easy thing to kind of fall into and accept like you're seeing it actually now in like yeah. WWE with like The Rock coming back and it's like you remember The Rock right and like yeah I guess yeah he was he was good in 1999 yeah 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 well he's back <laughs> oh okay cool guess we have the rock now 
So I don't know. It's kind of I, I don't know. As I've said to you before, I'm kind of anti-nostalgia, or well, not anti it, but like very wary of it. Um, mm. And I guess I don't know. I mean, what are you playing Persona Three on? Are you playing it on the PS Five? Yeah, I'm playing it on PS Five. Um, it's yeah, it's uh, they've 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 actually made it on Unreal Engine Four, so they've kind of homogenized it a little bit just to speed up development, uh, but. For anyone out there who's a fan of the series, they'll know like it's essentially been redone in the style of Five, um, which was even though I've got a lot of problems with Five, and you know that might be something that we talk about if we ever pivot to game podcasting. Yeah, we will. Uh, it's definitely my least favorite of like the, the acclaimed entries or the more recent acclaimed entries, uh, mostly down to its localization issues. Uh, it it definitely takes a very overly literal approach to the script, and as anyone who's played persona world has to like these games are ridiculously text heavy mm. you know two or four yes. almost that's the charm of the series as well yeah uh, whereas this one is great it's kind of kept the writing of the original three which in my opinion is the best localization effort they they've done mm. uh, and they haven't changed a thing but stylistically it's been completely kind of reimagined in the style of five and the one thing that five is objectively the best for is just the look of it like the uis the menus um like the way that, like the battle see uh, the battle themes like flow from uh, a random encounter or not so random i suppose like bumping into enemies and then flowing into gameplay like all of that stuff is just so slick mm. like the presentation persona 5 as a whole is just absolutely next level and it's nice to play three uh which i think is a better written game uh and a more interesting game as well mm. like, thematically in the style of like the one that kind of absolutely nailed the style. Do you know what I find hard with like games, and particularly with like JRPG games, is like their sort of reverence for their own material sometimes can I feel like maybe can hold them back a bit. Like when I played, I played uh, Shin Megami Tensei Five. I was playing that, and I was just like, "This is the best Shin Megami Tensei Five we're gonna get," and so I'm gonna enjoy it for that. But there was a part of me that was just like, ah, yeah, they're kind of like beholden to their own myth and law and cultural sort of standing. And I think that that can always be like a negative thing with RPGs. Like if you, I mean, I haven't played the recent Final Fantasy um, and I know that there's quite a lot of people that are negative on it. I know they tried to do this sort of like Game of Thrones style pivot into that sort of like (laughs) setting, which looks really interesting and exciting and all that, but maybe it doesn't quite work it could have been and it should have been yeah that's right i mean it is a shame that because it sets it up really nicely with that um and that's something that the series has never really done before um kind of taking outside influence as opposed to being influenced predominantly by its own kind of past centuries um so i had had a lot of respect for its kind of um Hmm. like ethos in that sense like trying to create something new and different um even if it was drawing on you know more kind of western media in particular game of thrones you know it's a trite observation but it, mm. it really it, if if you've seen or read the song of ice and fire books like it's not it's not a subtle influence it's right very no, very no. on the surface you know no it did not um, look subtle but no they just they, they kind of it's an interesting one to, to to your point about kind of nostalgia and series kind of like getting a little bit too beholden to their own lore as you referenced um because the the game is pushing in those two different directions, like the one that I just kind of praised it for, which was the attempt of being influenced by something that isn't just 
uh, resigned to the actual uh, past entries mm. and then something quite contemporary that's completely left of field for the series mm. and unfortunately it kind of splits the difference in a negative way like it's not radical enough toward the direction of trying something new mm. and it fails quite profoundly in that <laughs> respect um, although I know that's controversial but you know some people have expressed a similar sentiment as well so I know I'm not completely on my own with that um, and yeah also it's attempts at trying to recreate the nostalgic feelings of the previous entries fall very flat as well so mm. it's kind of a case study for um games that should kind of if they want to commit to something or any any media you know that's going to apply to films as well if you want to commit to something and really push in a bold new direction like do that you know don't try and be all things to all people because then you end up pleasing nobody yeah i agree i agree that's actually a really good segue we should uh let's just go into it the palace uh that <laughs> All things for all people, this film is certainly not. Um, as I said to you before, um, before we started recording, uh, I kind of gave it a skim over again. Like I didn't want to commit to a full rewatch of it before recording again, because I just didn't want to hurt myself that much. And I was just skimming it, and I'm like, oh, man, I don't think I've ever seen images quite like this before, in a positive <laughs> and negative way. Um, the Palace, the the new and probable last film of Roman Polanski, uh, played at Venice last year to uh, uh, let's say a muted-ish response. You know, um, it, it didn't really get many positive notion notices, <laughs> uh, other than like from people that really wanted to praise it. Um, you know, I think that there are some people that equate um, being on sides of a culture war, which is honestly one of the lamest terms that has ever that has come to pass of like the last five years is the idea of culture war which is like it's (laughs) it's honestly so childish um yeah it it, a, a bizarrely horrible movie the palace sorry to give away my feelings on it so early gareth but I feel like I have to. Spoilers, yeah. Spoiler alert, I hated this movie. Um, <laughs> when you when you watched it, what was like your sort of like, in the moment sort of watching of it, what was kind of like your, what, were, what was your thought process as we were uh, enduring this film? Should I just, oh, hold on, before I go into that, should I give like a quick plot synopsis, which is mm. uh, a <laughs> plot synopsis. Sure. Um, basically, it's <laughs> uh, a comedy set on New Year's Eve 1999 in a luxurious hotel in the Swiss Alps where the lives of various guests and those who work for them intersect, uh, leading to some uh, high-quality japes uh, and the like. <laughs> um, yeah, it, you're in the moment watching of it. How, how did it make you feel watching The Palace? Um, so, strangely, at the beginning, um, I wasn't hating it. There's, there's, there's quite a handsome... And, and, and I, I assume this would be the case to a degree. I, I didn't think kind of on a formal level or in terms of how it was kind of shot, it would be like a complete disaster. It's like, it's fucking, it's Roman Polanski. Like, yeah, this is the man responsible for um, Chinatown, which mm. is probably the most perfect movie ever made in, in many respects. Yeah. Um, Macbeth, as we talked about on the Ray Macbeth episode, his <laughs> adaptation of that is one of my favorite films as well. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah just lo- loads of, loads of great movies. Um, even the ones that I like, a little bit less than their consensus uh stuff like rosemary's baby it's it's top top tier cinema mm. so yeah i i, I didn't not ex- even with the reception being so 
uh, wholly and um, like yeah, like overwhelmingly negative. I still expected to see some some nice shots here and there. Maybe I don't know, just a little bit of a, a sense of who was actually making it, you mm. know, who was behind the camera. Um, even if he's you know, as I was led to believe, like turned uh, gone senile and you know lost all of his mm. all of his kind of innate abilities. Um, but no, there's a good ha- there's a good tracking shot at the beginning where. The uh, maitre d character, uh, the hotel manager, he's kind of walking around the um, walking around the room, giving out instructions to all of his staff. About, yeah. Um, this is. I, I was just thinking. I don't even know like what the event was that they were even preparing for. Now uh, that's probably me. I probably don't remember <laughs> because I wasn't you know paying enough attention. <laughs> but he's, essentially, he says something like, "Oh, all the rich people are in town, so you know this is a big." This is a big deal for us. I don't actually really remember why he was. It was New Year's Eve. That. But I, I quite. That was it, just because it was New Year's Eve. Yeah, it was, it? Well, it was going into the year two thousand. Okay. Oh, the, well. and the party. Yeah, and the party. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, he's doing that, and he, he's being the camera tracks him around the room, and it's. I was like, this is, you know, there's a bit of an ugly even from the first shot, like digital, kind of sheen to it, where I was like, oh, like I don't really like the, the coloration of this. I don't. No, I think it looks a bit garish, but but that that was also clearly deliberate and becomes very clearly deliberate when you see a lot of the the CGI exterior establishing shots oh, and God. awful things like that that he starts deploying throughout the film, were, those, those, which I don't know again. Those establishing is, shots is reminded that, is me that, of, uh, of, of reboots. Do you remember this TV show Reboots? <laughs> from uh, that was like on no. ITV. Do you not remember that show? It was like a Canadian. Oh, sorry, I do, I do. Yeah, you referenced it to me and I looked it up. Um, yes. We weren't even talking about the palace when you did. So yeah, I know the one you mean. Yes. And you're right. It does look like Reboot. It <laughs> <laughs> reminded me of Reboot. And I was just like, man, we have really not progressed. But Reboot obviously has a charm because it was made in the 90s. And it's like trying to push it way beyond their capabilities. Whereas this is That's just... That's right. I mean, Gordon Bennett. Like, this is just disgusting. <laughs> like, that establishing shot of the, quote, palace... Um, I mean, it was just yeah. awful, absolutely awful. That 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 establishing. Well, I I've, I follow a. We were actually talking about games at the beginning of this discussion, and mm. there's a really good Twitter account that I'd recommend anyone who's into video games follow. Certainly of a certain era, which is um, it's basically just pre-rendered backgrounds and mm. taking. Uh, you know, that was a very specific PlayStation One art style, where essentially they would take. Um, yeah an image that wasn't possible to render in the polygonal graphics of the time, but they pre-render it and then they they could just use it as a backdrop. Mm. And then they'd have the, the polygonal characters kind of walking around along top of that, kind of superimposed onto that image, uh, which enabled them to create, you know, all the Final Fantasy games from that era, 7, 8 and 9 are in that style. And and it creates this, you know, really, it's, it's really timeless kind of um, effect. It's almost like the use of kind of like, matte paintings for the background and yeah stuff like the hitchcock films from the 70s uh sorry the, the 60s and stuff like marnie mm. uh, but in in game form and that is kind of the style of the cgi of the palace yeah <laughs> it's yeah, like a yeah. pre-rendered image of the hotel yeah <laughs> and it, so that would normally be my shit i'd be like yeah that's awesome but it's such a pointless shot in the palace and it it really contributes to this overriding feel of like wow you didn't Either deliberately or because of, you know, the weird ways that Polanski is now forced to make movies, mm. um, kind of on the fly and being financed by about, you know, 
18 different production companies. Oh, that was which, brilliant. Which is a brilliant thing about the beginning of the movie, yeah. which you see about 18 different logos pop up at the beginning. I was like, is this part of the joke? Like, yeah. Or is this just <laughs> the reality of Polanski making a film? No, now? it is very much the, re- um, the reality of that man making it. Uh, sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah. No, I, I, think, it, I think you're probably right. Yeah. But it was very funny to see all the different logos pop up. Uh, almost like Gaspar Noe's um, Enter the Void opening credits, oh, but yeah, just with yeah. different production companies that Polanski's convinced, you know, oh yeah, you give me a million here, you give me a million there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so we go, so as I was saying, we go into the intro a bit, and I was like, you know what, this is actually, um, it's not unpleasant. And there's quite a few that when they're establishing all the different characters and it's kind of cross cutting between, you know, it's a little bit haphazard, of course, but it's cutting between all the different kind of. Uh, of what you presume will be like characters throughout the film, uh, although characters might be uh, overstating <laughs> it somewhat. Um, <laughs> uh, I was kind of enjoying it. I remember texting you during it. I was like, you know what, Joe? Like, I, I don't think this is. You know, I know it's bad, but you know, there's 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 something there. Like, I'm not, I'm not hating it. I'm, I think it's quite entertaining. Um, you know, in a puerile way and in in a kind of silly way, but it wasn't it wasn't like screaming terrible at me. And then, as we'll go on to discuss um, throughout this, as as you go on, I think the film, I think you and I agreed, like, didn't we, when we talked about it prior to this discussion, was there's a point that the film reaches and you're just like, this is abject beyond words. Mm. And when I hit that point, I text you and you're like, it doesn't get any better from here, son. <laughs> like, you're, in, you're in the real palace now. Oh, no, yeah, you were <laughs> deep in the trenches at that stage. I mean, as you say, when they're setting up the characters, I'm like, okay, they're kind of, being nasty and vicious i mean i found this film to be like really really nasty uh in just repugnant it, yeah. yeah really how they showed people i mean i don't know about you but it had like i can't really put my th- finger on why but it had a, like a really like italian quality to it like i like i don't know like there was this hmm. there was this kind of like gaudiness to it like it was had this like chintzy quality and i'm like these people would like this stuff they would like gaudiness they would like a chintzy thing so i'm like okay yeah this is this is fine and then like they start to introduce mm. the characters like mickey rock who bless him like he's doing his best with what he's got which is not a whole hell of a lot and True. you know how polanski films him and some of the older women who have had the cosmetic surgery like there's a, there's a lot of people in this who have had like cosmetic surgery and he films them in like these like crushing close-ups almost of like mocking their faces and it's really quite horrible some of that um so anyway like they're they're sort of like setting up these characters and you have the mickey rourke one you have these very broad russian mobster types uh you know in the year 1999 where you know that's the year where putin came into power so it's just like okay fine see what they're doing here um we can see their sort of like tacky sort of qualities again. Um, then you have this John Cleese character who, for some reason, is playing a Texas oil baron sorts. <laughs> did you not? Did, do you think they just turned up and like John Cleese? Like, I'm going to do a Texas accent. And like, okay, yeah, John, that that sounds great. And so he has a character who's from <laughs> Texas. Like, it doesn't really make much sense. Who's got a young wife, but the young wife is like overweight, uh, um, and that's a joke apparently. Um, yeah. Again, it, it and one of the more sympathetic characters, strangely, but yeah, yeah. still her her uh, her weight is the is the that's is the, the joke. joke, and that's the joke is you know these old that, women that, have got terrible faces, kind 
she's fat, yeah. he's old. I'm like, oh, okay, this is really horrible and nasty. Like, really horrible. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it was an odd viewing experience. This initial part, and you know, you've got these again, really brutal close-ups on people, crappy CGI, uh, terrible scripts. I mean, within the first five minutes of being on screen, Mickey Rourke is already saying "retard," and like, uh, you know, and then there's that. <laughs> uh, remember that bit when he's like, he's turned up, he doesn't have a booking, so they give him a crap room. So he goes into the other room, opens a bottle of champagne, and this you know, black guy comes in who's uh, who's presented as if he's like a pimp from the 70s. And he opens yeah. this champagne bottle, Mickey Rourke, and he blows his hair off. And then he leans forward and you see him with this liver spot covered head. And you're like, oh my God, like this is just horrible. And it's like, I don't feel like he's skewering these people in like, uh, oh, we're mocking the rich sort of thing. He's just kind of like skewering their appearances. And it's like a very odd yeah. target from Polanski in this whole movie and particularly in the opening um yeah i don't know it, it immediately put me off and gave me quite a bad vibe um early on and then when the plot yeah. when the plot kicks I, in I as will... well i was like yeah yeah the plot again it's like <laughs> can we really describe it as such i mean it's not i don't want to like break it down into these component parts and say well it doesn't have it doesn't look nice um mm. all the kind of people in it look ugly and yeah the jokes don't work and whatever so because uh, it's just that 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 was kind of obvious going into it with like how profoundly negative the reception was but even within that i mean there's 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 no kind of redeeming qualities whatsoever it's it's almost a case of yeah if, if you were one of those poor critics who had to sit through this as part of your job you know write about the palace for your job like and go to venice to see it um, you know, you you would come out just feeling a little bit like I don't know, like unwashed or dirty because it's just it's really it's just really nasty and, and kind of pointlessly so on every level. I it's one of the few films I've seen where as it progressed, because at the beginning I was willing to give it the benefit out. Like I said, I think it was kind of deliberately trying to provoke and to upset people and to be ugly on purpose and and all these things. And it's kind of like almost if we are to talk about it in in the in the sense that it's going to be Polanski's kind of final cinematic statement, given the controversy around you know his um, his extradition and the life that he led and 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 the and the trial and stuff and and all the controversy. Um, so yeah, given all that, I, I kind of thought, you know what is this um, is this going to be. The, is this going to be the work of a man who's like being a bit pranksterish? Like, is he, is is he kind of going like fuck you to all the critics and saying, you know, like I'm going to go out with the most rancid, like repugnant, kind of shapeless, pointless film ever made? Um, I'll defer to a few other critics that I've seen who've written about it. Um, I think Will Sloan on Letterbox called it Euro Trash Hell. Yeah. Um, Nick Newman, who we like to reference on this pod quite a lot, called it satanic. Yeah, <laughs> in all caps. And these are all accurate, you know, descriptors of of what a hellish uh, viewing experience it is. Uh, I am going to go back to you actually on this. Did you feel, despite all of that, because I think even that kind of goes without saying, did you find any of it funny? And did you get any enjoyment out of any of it, or would that be asking too much? Oh, of this. Of oh this no, film? I like enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, 
I enjoyed kind of how mean-spirited it was. Like, I enjoyed the sort of um, nastiness out of it. I mean, there's no real jokes that I enjoyed other than, like... I mean, was there any points where I, like, laughed? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Not any, not anything with Cleese's character. Cause, and, and I only read this afterwards, by the way, so I'm not, like, copying... Because I think Will's review is, is the best review of yeah. it. But he talks about laughing at the kind of carry-on vibes of John Cleese's bits. And right. I think maybe because of, like, John Cleese's, like, recent reinvention as, like, this quote-unquote culture warrior, Ugh. as we were talking about before, because right. he's now, you know... Um, Mr. GB News. GB News. Yeah. He's now got like a show on GB News, yeah. yeah. And he's remaking Faulty Towers at the at the age of fucking ninety or whatever. Is he? Basically, what I think the new, the new yeah Faulty Towers is coming out again. Oh Jesus! Not for the BBC, and it's going to be an unwoke, like a proudly unwoke oh, wow. piece of media. Wow, cool. Yeah, can't wait and to see I, that. I, I think that will be the closest stylistic um, analog to something like. Uh, to something like the palace, I think that's how that will turn out. Okay. But but I have to say, I did quite like his bits in it. Like there was some, <laughs> like his his kind of stupid uh, rigor mortis cum face. Like, oh I yeah, my head. I thought that. <laughs> yeah, I did get a kind of a bit of a kick out of that, and and the penguin stuff as well with the CGI penguin. I just thought, God, this is so ridiculous. I can't not laugh. And yeah, I I was kind of laughing with it more than at it because I think. Surely there was a modicum of self-awareness, even if the if the satirical bits of it aren't hitting the mark. I mean, there, there was a review of this that did try and actually reclaim it, and it said that it was an effective skewering of the oh, European upper class. Oh, sure, <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> which is not what I'm saying is funny about this film. Like, that's why I wanted to know if you found any of it good. No, that review is that, if it's that review is the good, funniest like, thing, in spite of itself. That review's yeah, the funniest yeah, part. The review of, was funnier than the movie. Yeah, that that that's that's what I, I kind of find more interesting is like the reactions to it. Like, how do mm. like how do people take this thing? Like, there is the obvious easy thing to do, which is to dismiss it because you know Polanski has been like banished to Europe and banished to France, and his films can't even get distributed. This can't be like no distributor in France wants to even uh, release this, which tells you something. Like, I mean, ultimately, it's not a very good movie. So the idea that oh, the French have gone woke and they don't want to, <laughs> they don't want to distribute Polanski's latest film. It's like <laughs> yeah, I've watched it; it's crap. Like that, that, that's not what the story here is with this film. In terms of making me laugh, yeah, there was there were things that made me laugh. I, admittedly, Mickey Rourke's <laughs> weird heads did make me laugh. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. the um, the cheapness of the whole thing kind of made me laugh. Like, there's that really bizarre bit with the the woman whose dog has worms and then she has this weird like kind of <laughs> porny kind of scene with the plumber afterwards yeah. which again is kind of like the film's kind An of just like tryst yeah it, it just it's just like these vignettes of like things happening and it's yeah, I, I think there's certain... oh, no, none of it. None of it coheres into anything. No, it, at all. No, like, and it doesn't. Just... It doesn't climax to anything really. I mean, you know, you get like no, you get no. the the big th thing is like there's the Russian ambassador guy who turns up where him and this other Russian mobster have got this deal, and then they've got a they put the the stuff into a safe and then they take the key and then he walks off. Russian ambassador's still in the lock. The thing closes, but that key doesn't work from that side, and it's like. Okay, well, I guess that's the end of that story. Um, like, I know. like, like, what the, was the, I, 
the Mickey yeah. Rourke character doesn't really elevate into much. He had some weird business deal going on with the no. year 2000. That doesn't really go anywhere. Well, then he just dies, doesn't he? He has a heart attack and he just dies. Oh, of course. It. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's really it. I mean, that's it. The, the crescendos of all the various kind of vignettes and plot um, elements for the different you know, scenes that the characters have. Mm. Um, it just feels like, again, that has to have been something that they... They deliberately designed it, and this this was a good part of Will Sloan's review, I thought, because mm. he references Faulty Towers, um, the original series, and he's like, maybe they were trying to go for that, which you know, every episode of Faulty Towers kind of they add on all these more ridiculous elements mm. and all these more ridiculous characters, and they crescendo into this thing where like there's there's just unbelievable, like perfectly fine tuned comedic payoff for every like seemingly random like a uh, thing that's happened within the within the framework of the episode mm. and maybe they thought they had like somehow pulled that off you know <laughs> with the the financier guy um smoking weed with the russian girls they're kind mm. of intersecting a little bit oh now now the guy that you mentioned um the plumber guy is now uh copping off with the old woman and how grotesque mm. is that and almost like they just maybe thought that like it was it had all built to something, but they were just unaware of it. Or the flip side, and again, I have no idea, and I'll leave it up to the listeners and leave it up to you if you have a take on it, Joe. I don't know whether they thought that it was, you know, fine-tuned from a comedic perspective, or if they just thought, fuck it, like, we know we're making something kind of pointless, plotless, and pretty hateful, and, you know, here, here you go, have it. I mean, we'll serve that up for you. We've used We've used 20 million of your money to make one of the most abject films ever like fuck you kind of thing yeah it's, it's funny that you say that now with like these intersecting characters and they've all got kind of disparate things and maybe they could link together and you know it's kind of plotless as you say you make it sound like a Hong Sang Soo film like it, it like uh, all I'm imagining <laughs> now is Hong Sang Soo's The Palace you know and it's like I know he did Hotel by the River which is you know not quite of this scale but um you know I, I there's there's versions of this movie out there in some universes where maybe it could be good, you know. Um, maybe yeah, maybe agreed. there is a filmmaker out there. I mean, maybe if this film was actually made in the year 2002, it feels like someone dusted this script off. Do you know what I mean? And they're like, do you want to do this, Roman? Mm. And you're like, oh, yeah, 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 That's, that sounds great, that sounds great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just like, yeah, this will keep him busy before he dies. And it's like, they have... <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, we have to be. Well, that, that's certainly the case with Cleese, isn't it? That, that's why I think they're, they're, he's perfect for the film. Yes. You see Cleese, and he's like, you know, he, he must only just be clinging on to life because he's so fucking old now. Yeah. But he's still out there doing projects. And I feel like he's almost like Polanski's stand in in the movie, where it's just like, you're a has been, you're now problematic, mm. but you're attaching yourself to this god-awful project which you know no one can kind of rationalize or reason why or who or who it was made for you know okay so oh okay so like gb news is john cleese is the palace basically okay (laughs) no no his new faulty towers the new faulty but yeah the gb news thing works as well at least well i think i think the reason i was saying it like that was like who who is this film made for and why and i cannot discern that at all I can I can do that with the GB News I thing. Know. You know, people love the fact that it's like, oh, old school John Cleese. Like he's just you know sticking it to the wokeies and stuff. So I know that there's a perfectly you know legitimate audience yeah. for that, however misguided. But with um, the new Faulty Towers, because even those people I imagine would still have fond memories of the original show. Mm. There is no seeming audience for reviving that. You know, and Cleese is kind of like almost like Polanski's stand-in for. 
uh, well, he is a stand-in for the director in the sense that he's completely past it. He'll probably be dead in a couple of years. Mm. <laughs> Sorry if that sounds crass, but he is pushing 90 now. And uh, here he is turning up in this film. I mean, when has John Cleese ever turned up in a movie? So it just feels... Weirdly, that might be the one thing I can kind of now, through this conversation, work out what like why they did something. Yeah. <laughs> the John Cleese casting now makes perfect sense, but nothing else in this film does. To be honest, I do know who the audience for this film is, and that's uh, film podcasts and for auteurist <laughs> completionists like myself, who's got like... I've got like, <laughs> yeah. I think I've got like another four Polanski films to see, and I've seen his entire filmography then. Me too, about yeah. that. And, yeah. and I'm like, okay, well, he's got a new one out. I should watch it, I guess. I mean, I don't, this is the thing. It's like, I don't have to watch it, obviously. Um, I understand people who don't want to watch it. I totally get that. That's fine. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to pass judgment on people that don't want to go down that road with watching a Polanski film. That's totally up to you. Um, but mm, yeah, the audi- the audience for this is... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, actually, now that I think about it, I think this film is just as bad as that one he did with uh, Kate Winslet and Jodie Foster. What was it called? Carnage. That play that... that Oh, really? Oh, I despised (laughs) it. Oh, I hated that movie so much. Oh, (laughs) God, it was awful. It was awful. No, you can't put them on the same level, but we've talked about it. The Palace is better. I'd rather watch The Palace again. Oh my god. I know you said you've got a hatred for film theatre, so yeah. I can imagine Carnage being like your absolute <laughs> kind of uh, kryptonite as, as a movie. Oh god. Um, it's funny actually now. But that... no, how dare you compare them? I, I quite I quite like Carnage no. actually. Sorry if there's uh Here's another some one for Carnage you. haters out there, but Here's another one for you. Um I've never <laughs> liked Faulty Towers. Like I've never liked it. Like that's what we're talking about Oh shit. I've never liked it. I've never found it funny. Like I actually think it's some of the lamest jokes ever for a sitcom, you know, <laughs> where it's like, oh, it's a Spanish waiter and he doesn't speak English very well and people get confused. Oh, okay, great. I, I feel like it gets kind of like um, caricatured because of the kind of the, the, the parts that have made it um, an, an iconic kind of uh, legacy program. Mm. Um, when you actually kind of go into the episode certainly the ones which don't have those like um like oh the, the german duck walk thing that he does Ugh. or like the spanish waiter and stuff like that like it's almost like what like for example i really love like only fools and horses but if you just remember it as the the, the show where like De- uh, derek uh david jason sorry falls through the bar yes it's kind of like viewing it like that like i do, I do think you're underrating it a little bit but at the same time I also feel like, would I be able to watch Forty Towers today? I hope I would. Mm. You know, I hope I would be able to, and still have the same kind of affection for it if it wasn't like the show that me and my old man watched. You know, when I was like, right. you know, really young and I didn't understand half the jokes and stuff, and, right. and then realised later it was like this supposed masterpiece of comedy, which you know, I think some of the episodes I think would hold up to that. Um, but for me, actually, the one that doesn't really age out well is Monty Python. I've, I agree. I can understand their hundred percent place in the hundred percent in the legacy, but it doesn't doesn't work for me. No, yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't. So same for me. Better, better analog. Again, actually, yeah. Monty Python. Some of the, like the one-off gags, like make me laugh. Mm. Like, what's the one? What's the film with like the knight when they chop his arms and his legs off and his head off, and he's just like, <laughs> "Come back here and fight me." 
My aunt's just like, yeah, that's a funny joke. And the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail. Yeah, yeah. there's some good bits. That's in a that. that's a good joke. But like Life of Brian, like yeah. that movie fucking stinks. Like I hate that movie. I, I just don't like it. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, sketch show's fine. Yeah. The what's the one with the critic? What's the other big joke? The critic where he eats all the food and is disgusting. Like that's a pretty good gank. Like. I don't know. I just yeah, just not not the big final on final one, the meaning of life. Yeah, meaning yeah. of. I'm not not big on on the Monty that, Python. That that actually again, I've just made a connection. Now you've said that there's a a real stylistic through line between that scene and the grotesqueness of of the comedy in that, oh. and what a lot of what the palace is doing, which is almost this kind of like body horror and <sighs> like uh, engorging and you know excess of of the rich, mm. um, which. You know, it's, it's probably I can't really remember the meaning of life that well. It's the one that I haven't seen all the way through. But mm. that gag is like, it's quite clear what the comedic intention is, and the execution is kind of kind of matches that. Mm. Whereas in the palace, it's like that's the intent of all the gags, but the execution and the thought behind it and the way it's kind of delivered just don't 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 match up really, do they? It's funny as well. Now talking about this, when referencing Carnage, and it's like. And it had like Kate Winslet, Jodie Foster, John C. Riley, and Christoph Waltz. You know, and then great cast. Yeah, <laughs> the Ghostwriter, which obviously had Pierce, your boy, um, in it. Masterpiece as well. Masterpiece. Not film. just because I'm a Pierce boy, but I love that film. But like, yeah. it's got. Uh, it had that. It had uh, Ewan McGregor. It had um, who else was in it? Um, who's the uh, Tom Wilkinson? It had like you know some Tom big Wilson, big yeah. lead name actors for that time. Um, you know the pianist mm. like these are all films that got big releases and like this film yeah. just absolutely no chance hasn't even been released in France which again is a hell of a mark yes. against Roman Polanski in terms of cultural cachet but you know again the quality isn't that great right. and then his last film which was in English is An Officer and a Spy in French I couldn't quite remember the name that film I've got to say is an absolute masterpiece like I think that film is incredible yeah, yeah. It's a great mm. film, but again, couldn't get release in outside of France, really, or, or outside of like Europe. It's it's interesting. Like yeah. within the last few years, like Polanski and the way that Woody Allen has has just become like this, you know, aged name that's pariah. Kind of, yeah, pariah. Mm. It can get financing from certain corners of the world and certain people, but it's not going to get released anywhere. I mean, the the thrill the thrill of getting that Rifkin's Festival Google Drive link. I mean, honestly, that was that was a next level <laughs> cinephilic delight, getting that. And then watching and watching that monstrosity. <laughs> Sitting down and watching that <laughs> horrible movie. Um, I don't know, there, yeah. there, is, there is some joy in that for me of like, I can't wait to see what these really old men are up to. Um, especially if it's really bad. Yeah. So that's the joy of the yeah, palace for me, is that. Like, what has this guy got left in him? And it's not a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, it's it's almost an experiment in, like, how how far can a formerly great filmmaker fall? <laughs> and according to the Venice reception, it was like, well, as, as far as anyone can fall. Mm. I think on the Wikipedia that quotes a critic, uh, critic rather, from Rotten Tomatoes, um, someone says it's not only the disaster of... Polanski's career it might be the, the the worst film of the entire decade which you know, it's not a claim it's not a baseless claim it's not a claim without merit I mean Ooh. I would never go that far and I think there's enough of Polanski and enough of kind of silly enjoyment that you know I wouldn't ever class it as that 
but it is my least favourite film released in the year 2023 and it is about as abject as it's been advertised mm. as and I think on that basis like that's for, for, for freaks like you and me who just want to see that <laughs> like, like that, that's why we watch it you know yeah. <laughs> and then it becomes a bit of a, like an endurance thing like how much are you willing to put up with to kind of uh, engage with that that's really interesting <laughs> and it of... turns out for me was the first 20 minutes fine but for the rest of the movie I, I did want to press the ejector seat and get the fuck out yeah it was horrible <laughs> let's talk about let's wrap this up by talking about the final mm. shot which will possibly be the final shot of Polanski's <laughs> career. I will tell the listeners about this. So there's that woman with the dog who's got worms, and the dog escapes at one point, and then it, it goes to, like, the end of the movie, you know, John Cleese is dead as the fireworks are going off, and the hotel manager's drunk, and the <laughs> Russian ambassador's stuck in the safe, and all this, and they've all kind of got to this point of, like, ah, whatever. And then it kind of fades away, and then it comes back in on this shot, this low tracking shot on the ground it's coming around it's going through like the debris of the night before and then the camera goes under this table and it comes down and it focuses in on that little dog from earlier with with the worms uh humping the cgi penguin that had been set up earlier in the movie which was the uh the animal brought in by john cleese for his wife for their anniversary <laughs> their one year anniversary um and then it fades out and then the credits roll over a cgi uh, palace hotel oh one of the worst shots yeah. i've ever seen in my entire life and one hell of a way to go out i mean it's literally you know the boxer who has lost the world title fight and he's swinging as hard as he can to get anything and he swings he misses and he falls right into an uppercut and down <laughs> he goes finished in the 12th round no more for you mate we're waving yeah. this off and yeah it was <laughs> truly one of the most hideous final shots i've ever seen um, I don't even understand. It's one of the most hideous shots ever. Yeah, it's not just <laughs> final shots, is it? It's just one of the most abject shots ever put in a movie. What's the joke? Why... What's the joke there? What, what's, you, what's the point? You, you, yeah, you, you, you can give your reading on it, Joe, but I just think that that for me tips the scales. And I know this discussion has kind of not really unpacked that yet, but it's it's entertained the idea. Like, how much of this is deliberate? And how much of it is just well, incompetent. That's the thing. And, you know, missing the mark. And that one slightly tips the scales for me. Because I know people are making a big deal, and you, you did in your introduction for the shot, like about how it's probably his final shot ever. Like, I can't say. Mm. Like, he might somehow get to make another film, and then maybe that changes the context of this discussion and changes the context of that shot. Mm. But, like you said, it's very likely that it is his final shot. Very, very likely. And mm. many people have said it. And if he is hyper aware of that, then you have to attribute some of the, the some of the terribleness of this film to like being by design a little bit, perhaps. Maybe, maybe. I mean, if that is, if he was aware that this could be his final shot because you know he's ninety years old, like, and he's like, okay, this is it, and I'm going out like this, and I know that these people don't want me to succeed, but I'm going to succeed with this movie, and I'm going to make this comedy, and people are going to love what it. I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's an interesting idea. I think, from what I can tell and from what I've read, that they thought that they had a great film on their hands and that he was going to be able to make something else off the back of this. And right. I... So there's a part of me that thinks, like, 
he's kind of doing that because he thinks that this joke of the dog humping the penguin is so crass <laughs> and that the joke of presenting that at the Venice Film Festival which is the oldest mm. film festival like going um, is in of itself a joke and it kind of is and I think that kind of wraps yeah. up the film in a way I is that it, right. it all it's all kind of a joke right. But there's no real joke there. Like, ultimately, the joke is this yeah. and this and this. It's empty, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's completely hollow. Yeah, but what am I looking at? Yeah. I'm looking at a dog humping a CGI penguin. <laughs> and really, is that much of a joke other than on me for like, my you've time? Almost, you, yeah, you've almost got to respect like the chutzpah of putting it in. Mm. Like, the CGI is so garish and so... Um, like low budget and just visually repulsive uh, and inauthentic and then the fact that it's like two animals humping <laughs> and the fact that that's again supposed to be the lingering image of the film that you take away despite the fact the film has just you know five minutes previously crescendoed all of its plot lines in deeply deeply unsatisfying <laughs> and kind of sh- ways that you just shrug at and then that is what you're presented with. Mm. Like, you've just got to respect the kind of yeah. balls to end on something like that. But at the same time, it's like, well, yeah, do, am I supposed to take this at face value? Or are you just trolling Venice? Are you trolling your your haters? Like, in which case, it kind of doesn't... My point is, I, I guess, without kind of going around it too too much, is I think it doesn't work either way. No. Like, if it's if it's not deliberate then it's terrible obviously and if it's deliberate it's still kind of fucking terrible <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's a really good point actually yeah because if you make the argument of this is him acknowledging this is going to be his final shot and i want to go out with this it's still bad and if it's him making this ploy of a joke of this great crescendo of this big comedy it doesn't work either because yeah. it's not funny so i think that's where yeah. i land yeah yeah so it's kind of nothing <laughs> basically we've said that that is nothing it's, it, and the yeah. film is nothing it is just nothing is the <laughs> well the film is very much something let's get that right but, yes um, i definitely saw would we, something would we ever want you guys to go away and listen after this discussion and go away and listen to it i mean no you'll probably be screaming in our dms if we were to suggest something so i mean i'll watch so it again that I'll watch it again in like, <laughs> like that that's the thing like I don't think I'll I can ever shake this movie now of like you know the idea that the guy who made Chinatown finishes his career with that makes the film interesting so I've got to like one day yeah, it does. one day I will rewatch this and I feel like it might be soon like I I might be like you know I've got to see the palace again I've, like did I dream that I, I have I have a great yeah, I know what you mean. I have a great question for you, actually. Go on. Um, just to, to wrap it up. Because I was thinking about... Because that, that, as you described that, I was like, there's so many movies out there that, that kind of follow that, that, that function for me. Where I'm like, God, it's so bad that I just, I'm, I'm addicted to how bad it is. Stuff like The Cobbler, um, this Adam Sandler film Wait. that was made by the guy who made like an Oscar-winning film Spotlight. the year before. Like, shit like that. You know, there's so many to, to mention. But my question for you was going to be, Joe... Have you ever seen a film by a noted auteurist and acclaimed filmmaker at the level of Polanski, or at least in and around that, who's ever made something this kind of abject? Oh. Oh, you set me up there perfectly 
to do the troll answer and say like you know Steven Spielberg with whatever with E.T. <laughs> Um, for example, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> do you know what? I actually don't know. I wish you would. I wish you would. No, I can't. No, I'm I can't. joking. Go I on. can't do it. I mean, I just I dislike the film ET quite a lot, but I can't. Sure. I can't lie to myself like that. I actually don't know. I think I need to go away and have a think about this. Because <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, Rifkin's, what we'll Rifkin's now, Festival now. is close. Rifkin's Festival is very close. But I think that yeah. the low bo- budget quality of that, the fact that Wallace Shawn is 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 <laughs> married to Gina Gershon, is it Gina Gershon he's married to in that film? Um, I believe so. Yeah, is enough for me to be Might like be right. that's better than the Palace. Um, yeah, I would think so. I would think so. What what uh, I'll do is Joe, um, because I, I hadn't thought about it either. It just came to me. Um, I will now we've got our Instagram set up for 10 terabyte hard drive yes I'll put that after the episode is released I'll put that as a a question for our fans on that platform tremendous if anyone can come up with anything close to the palace like hats off to you and we'll promise to I don't know maybe record an episode on that because if it can reach this level then it's it's pure podcast fodder for us. Yeah, yeah, share it that's a great idea yeah listeners what is our what is our Instagram (laughs) I I don't know it I'm, I'm not on the Instagram you're not on the Instagram. Um, it is just ten terabyte hard drive, oh, um, cool. so that's where you can find us. Um, we're building a building a following slowly but surely. But yeah, yeah, I think I think we'll just use it to kind of have a bit more audience engagement. Um, we actually ran a few polls actually around the palace, mm. and even though we didn't get loads of responses because we're Don't still early in kind of. Don't say that. We got building, loads of responses. Our, we got loads following. of responses. We got loads of great feedback. Thank well. You. Advertisers, get with us. We did, we did. Okay, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Come on, advertisers. <laughs> Give us the money that we just so desperately <laughs> paid. Um, we, did, we, did, we did actually, I, I put two out and I'll just, you know, because not everyone will have seen. The first one I said, is the have you seen The Palace? And I think it was about 60-40 mm. um, to having seen it off about, you know, about 15 of our, our listeners came back on that one. Mm. And then this one was my favourite, which was, if you have seen it, is it the worst film of 2023? Which was 100% yes from wow. everyone who follows us and has listened to it. They all thought it was. So I guess that's, that speaks volumes, doesn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's probably the worst film of last year. In fact, it is the worst <laughs> film of last year. Um, yeah, I would have voted on my own poll to say that it probably was. Um, should we give a, a star rating? Mm, sure. One you and a half? First. Yeah, that's exactly what I gave it on Letterbox. Yeah, one and a half. I was I was I was toying with giving it two, just because Ooh. of those early moments that I found a little bit funny. But then I was like, come on, it's the palace. Like, <laughs> one and a half was fucking generous. For yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm with you on that one, Joe. I I looked at what I'd rated one, and I'm like, I can't put it in the same company as Promising <laughs> Young Woman. Like, that's not fair on the palace. Like. <laughs> You know, at least it's got disgust. Oh. Well, I gave that a half, so it's substantially better for me. <laughs> well, do you know what, actually? Now that, a great reference all the same. I think, do you know what, we, speaking of why I have to give it one and a half, is the green vomit that the Russian ambassador's wife throws up on the car, where it's like, I've never seen... Toxic waste. I've never seen anything like that before in a film, so I have to give the film mm. credit for that, is the green vomit. That, that was pretty cool, yeah. Uh, listeners, you a, good, a good metaphor for the film. Very much so. Listeners, you can email us at 10 <laughs> tbhardrivepod at gmail.com. Send us your questions. 
Uh, you can also like and subscribe. Uh, please do that. We've had some really lovely responses to this podcast. And i got to say, it's uh, quite heartening to see the response that we've had to this podcast. Um, anyway, oh my god, we've actually got a, a business email that I will read to you after the uh, the podcast. So, uh, sorry listeners, might, something Please. might be happening, who knows. Um, it won't be an advert for Blue Chew, by the way, if, uh, if you're worried about that. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, move on. Let's move on to our second film, which we'll go through now. Jean Roland's The Grapes of Death, a 1972, if I remember correctly. Uh, 1978, totally wrong. Um, French zombie movie uh, directed by Jean Roland. Um, Jean Roland is a filmmaker who I like quite a bit. Um, does a lot of like very scuzzy sort of horror movies. There was a great one that I watched when uh, I was working a night shift uh, in my old job called Fascination, which is this uh, vampire movie mm. he did uh, in a um, sort of French chateau sort of uh, place. Um, and then I was watching it on the night shift and it just cut straight into a lesbian scene, lesbian sex scene, full on lesbian sex scene. And I was watching it going, like, oh, okay. And then one of my colleagues walked in and he saw me watching that and he said like you're having a good time there joe and i said like yes i am i am indeed having a good time um <laughs> so uh that is my sort of relationship with jean roland i've only seen a couple of his movies this is your first jean roland movie mm. you were hyped because someone Correct, said yeah. resident evil 4 the movie did that live up to your expectations right. of resident evil 4 the movie mm, yeah it did it, it got me thinking actually that um, it's a bit of a long shot I suppose but I was like god maybe and uh, this is probably something you can help me with if there if there are films that have done this similarly uh, which is the kind of like European village zombie movie which is a first mm. for me French horror film is a first for me as well I don't think I've ever seen a French uh, horror movie would you not classify so, Martyrs? So it's quite interesting sorry say that again would, would you have like, like classified something like Martyrs as like a, a horror movie or have you ever seen anything like that? Or? Martyrs? No, I haven't seen Martyrs. Oh, no. So I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it is, but I've not, I've not seen it. Oh, okay. Um, so put put that on the list. Um, no, I don't. No, I've not seen Martyrs. But yeah, um, oh, yeah, I guess from the French thing, it was just, it was just interesting to have like the the kind of dialogue that's normally reserved for films where it's kind of characters effectlessly um, like reading off. Uh, kind of like f deeper philosophical stuff but mm. applied to the horror genre like and just deep existential terror mm. um, but yeah I think I think my takeaway with the Resident Evil 4 thing was like yeah maybe Shinji Mikami um, the creator of Resident Evil and the director of Resident Evil 4 maybe he'd seen this film because like I know it's a little bit trite but that review just obviously naturally stuck with me and right. throughout the whole film I was like yeah you've got all of the all of the things here, like the zombie virus isn't a traditional zombie virus. No. It's more of a kind of a, an infestation-y type thing uh, through the pesticide. Mm. Uh, you've got the village, uh, the European village, and she's obviously walking through the the kind of, I'm not sure if it's like northern France or whatever, but, you know, the kind of um, dilapidated nature has overcome the kind of ruins and the abandoned buildings of the farmhouses and stuff that she kind of, tries to find shelter in of uh, of some you know rural part of France and obviously Resident Evil 4 is Spain but it's a similar kind of mm. backdrop um, 
And yeah, I was, I was like, yeah, I was like, fuck, fucking hell, yeah, straight up Resident Evil for the movie. But I, I loved it, Joe. I was, I'm not a big horror fan. I'm not a big fan of um, those kind of cheaply made European films from the 70s either. In terms of not because oh. I'm not a fan, I just haven't seen that many of them. So I was like, okay, you know, Joe's curveball in it a little bit here, mm. throwing me a bit of a curveball. But I have to say, I thought it was really engaging, and I had a lot of time for it for sure. I, how, how did you feel? I mean, I loved it. I, th- I was really taken by it. Really, really taken yeah. by it. I loved, yeah. like, so basically the setup is, is this woman, uh, Elizabeth, is going to visit her boyfriend who works at a vineyard. Um, and the vineyard is the root source of this sort of, like, infestation breakout where people are turning into zombie-like characters. And they're basically... Um, it came from this pesticide this guy created for for vineyards and that's gone now into the people who have drunk the wine and now they're infested and now they've basically turned into kind of like they're not zombies per se but kind of like just mindless sort of like walkers killer type things um and i thought that it was really impressive there's the bit at the beginning on the train when that um i think he was maybe polish the guy who was working on the vineyard um, who kept, comes onto the train and he's like mm. kind of like slowly degrading and it starts like weeping like it has this pussy sort of weeping thing that effect was brilliant I love the fact that then so she just good. immediately yeah. runs from the train and just runs down a tunnel and then the rest of the movie is her stuck in the countryside like going from place to place like not having much to yeah. to go off of and like she goes to one place and there's the dad with the daughter and like you know something weird's going on immediately it turns out he's infected um you've then got the uh, the next place she goes to where it's the blind woman and like maybe she's recently yeah. gone blind or maybe she's always been blind i can't quite tell and she's looking for always her. i would think yeah. yeah and she's kind of got this uh kind of like a ghostly like figure the fact that she wears like this white dress and then she's oh. like stuck out in the wilderness I was going to comment on the white dress, yeah. Just the way that... Because one of the things I was quite impressed with, Joe... um, Sorry to cut you off. No, go for it, go for it. Just the way that a lot of the the nighttime photography and nighttime cinematography in this film, like it's so cleverly lit. And the way that she just kind of floats about these kind of dark, darkened frames, like in the nighttime with her kind of white dress just like flowing. I thought, Mm. God, that's... That is what that 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 imagery supersedes the budget that this film was made on, mm. and um, and good on the filmmakers for for nailing that because it looks terrific, and I think the whole thing looks terrific. Yeah, yeah I just want to make that comment about the white dress because because he picked up on that too. Yeah, and how that village is a bit more organized in a way because then she meets this woman who's in the yeah. mayor's house, who then um, kind of baits her um, and sort of traps her through her kindness. Uh, kind of set her up to be killed by these walkers. It's almost like she's sustaining them so that she can keep living. Um, That's right. Yeah. Or, uh, until she can, like, they can ride out for a sort of, like, uh, cure to the whole thing. And then it's she meets these two builders then afterwards who uh, had the best dialogue in the movie for me, where he was just like, <laughs> he was just like, oh, I could really go for a beer right now. And so, like, yes, a pint would be lovely right now. 
And that's the brilliant little... Yeah, what did you call that on Twitter? The most relatable dialogue <laughs> ever deployed in a zombie film. I very I much like, did. It yeah. is. Yeah. It genuinely is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is. And, and like really the fact good. that they got around the fact that they weren't infected because they don't like wine and they drink beer and because they're a bit more like working oh, class. Oh, I love that. That was a great detail. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, what was a really great little detail is that the men get more infected than the women, which to me read as a little cultural critique of France or the French societal personality, which is men don't like it when women drink too much wine. Like if you've ever gone out in France with groups of people where there's men and women there, the men will drink multiple glasses sure. of red wine. And then if the woman goes for like a yeah. second or third, they're kind of like, oh, 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 oh. what is wrong with, awesome. what is wrong with this woman? I, I kind of accidentally went into a French <laughs> accent there and I'm like, fuck it, I'll fully commit to it. Um, <laughs> What is wrong with You've this? Got to yeah, yeah. it's just like, why is she doing this? Like, what is what's wrong with this animal? So there's this. If, if that was a detail in the film, which I would be surprised at, because the detail in this film is really, really so specific good. in a way that it could have been a lot broader. You know, yeah. like um, you mentioned with the Polish immigrant that that um, that is like the first zombie that you see. The way that the makeup effects on his face degenerate, consistent with. What a degenerate, a degenerating kind of disease. Mm. Like every shot of him, it's the makeup has been slightly altered to show how the infestation from the pesticide is developing, mm. and it's really for like a, a clearly kind of low budget European um, horror film from that era. Mm. That it is really carefully calibrated in a lot of ways that kind of for me elevate it above other things I've seen. Uh, from that era and from in that style and mm. make me want to explore you know more films like it as well yeah certainly by the director as well who's who who i i, I think shot this film brilliantly by the way yeah i think it's an absolute looker yeah no yeah. he he really is great at that sort of thing i mean that's the the whole joy of that sort of era of filmmaking is that like you could make something this cheaply and it looks great because you're shooting it on film like and you put a little bit of like prosthetics yeah. on and you can they if you calibrate it just right and if you put enough detail into it and it's g- gruesome enough it gets you through the movie do you know what i also love as well you're is absolutely that, right is that they kind of i feel like they cast a lot of it like there's some people in it who like they just look like people who live in that area and they're like hey do you want to be in our horror movie and it's like these are sort of faces yeah. they're, they're the faces of people you don't normally see in movies and particularly not now like you never see people That's who look correct, like this now yeah. in films. Like everyone just, you know, they're all good looking, and if it, they're it, weird looking, it does lend it a nice authenticity, doesn't it? And and you know what else lends it a nice authenticity? Now that you said that, I've just thought about it. Is the way that her kind of survival journey, which is essentially just, I need, I'm I'm in a place, I'm in a land mm. like rural France where I don't know anyone or or, or anywhere that I am. So I'm just going to keep driving until I see the next structure where maybe there's going to be another human there that I can kind of take refuge in. And and it just feels very realistic yeah. in that sense, doesn't it? There's none of... The plot seems to completely be um, centred around that, which is just like, she's just going to go anywhere she can find refuge, even if the place seems a little bit suspicious, as most of them tend to be, or a little bit dangerous, like the village that she takes mm. refuge in is. But, you know, it's such a desolate kind of uh, landscape uh, in the countryside that she's kind of um, that she's frequenting that she's exploring at the time she just needs to find any 
semblance of civilization and mm. i like how real that all feels in this film it's really well done that's that's a really good point actually because now that i think about it it's like of course that's what you would do you're like right, i'm stuck in the countryside i've got yeah. a car right, i'm going to drive it to the next place or i'm going to drive it until i've got no more petrol because it's like this is all i've got right now uh it's like okay i know this guy he seems okay all right i'll stay with him oh no this is falling apart I gotta get the hell out of here. Right, I'll head this direction. I'll see what's there. Like it does exactly. feel random. She, she, yeah. Sorry, go on. It does. Yeah, I was just gonna say she just doesn't feel like a typical damsel in distress, even though a lot no. of the situations she gets into, like, would indicate that she was. But in those kind of more generic and cliched movies, those uh, women in trouble characters, that archetype tend to get into more contrived situations of distress. Yes. Whereas her thing feels very realistic. It's just like, she just has to go somewhere where she thinks there might be other people who are uninfected. Mm. And, and the film's quite, you know, it's quite, it's got a, a delicate touch with that approach, I think. Yeah, really, really impressive. And performances as well. Like the blind woman, like I thought she was like tremendous. Like she really did have like this ghostly, quality to her and there's that great bit at the end where really where she's like lost in the darkness and there's a there's the fire going uh no no it's not by the fire no she's at like this sort of like fountain sort of thing and she's sort of like lit by just maybe one light out in the distance and it's she's just and they're all kind of going towards her and they have this sort of i don't know what it is like she's kind of like an angel of sorts but not really you know, and then you've got that other woman who sets fire to that building, and she's like trying to turn those builders against the main character as well. And how she kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, you've got this sort of like innocent blind woman, and you've got this sort of, you know, evil uh, woman, Machiavellian, Machiavellian, yeah. yeah, 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 trying to like, like, you know, in the way that the main character is like trying to. Uh, create refuge for herself and the other people this other woman is like trying to find That's people right. for refuge through sacrifice like I'm going to sacrifice you to exactly. these people and it's like god yeah. like how quickly that would be an interesting idea is like how quickly would that character have taken to have been able to set up that scenario or to realise that scenario of like if I can get someone here who I can sacrifice I can keep living for another week like I can keep going like I'm going to be okay yeah. it's a brilliant movie really recommend uh uh, Grapes of Death, yeah. it's, it's which that, is just a, whole, a mad title as well. The, oh, bro, yeah, I think it's a great title. Yeah, I think I've read a review of it online. Someone said to, I was put off by the shit title. I was like, the title's brilliant. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's quite literally <laughs> it's so good. Like, it's quite literally about Grapes of Death. Like it's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love um, this movie. But no, I, I love that as well. I I, I think with. With, with the woman that you mentioned, um, like, yeah, you could say that it maybe falls into archetypes, like one's a kind of typical, like, uh, uh, the, she, that's another reason why it kind of analogues to, um, or compares rather to Resident Evil 4, is because one of the things that people don't like about Resident Evil 4 is that you've got this um, invalid companion oh, who yeah. you have to kind of take with you the whole way. And she can't do anything in Alice as you're playing as Leon. Mm. And that's what she's encumbered with, isn't she? When, yeah. she, when she meets Lucy, the, the blind woman. Um, so that was another little weird comparison that I made between it. And then, yeah, like the sinisterness of, of the other woman who I think you've read that completely right. She yeah. was just kind of using her, wasn't she? Hoping that she could live, um, distract the, uh, the infected for long enough to, to make her escape. And mm. she's willing to go to extreme lengths for that. And that's a really unflinching look at kind of like 
the horrors of humanity or the the the, the depths with which people will sink mm. you know for their own when they're when they're promoting their own survival above you know above all else um and yeah there's lo- lo- loads of little great details in, in that that just yeah they might seem a little bit trite you know when we kind of just observe them as they are but cumulatively mm. i think they really do elevate this movie yeah that that was the thing for me this film is like excellent i think like just because of those details like i think so. yeah you could easily fall into like you know the zombie like whatever zombie movie tropes but it's like the fact that he was able to infuse it with enough sort of cultural details as well you know the, yeah, the, the, when precise. when when they go off and they're saying like oh the helicopter's going to come and save us and she's like okay and they're at the vineyards that she wants to get to originally and they were like mm. oh where is she Nah, I don't know. Who cares? Like she decides to go off, and like the other ones, and they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, I know, but we should go find her." And like, "All right, yeah, fine." Like, there's no like, oh, "We've got to find her," oh, or the, the, there's no like, "We've got to find her," or she can go fuck herself, whatever. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a bit of like, oh, "This is annoying." All right, we have. To, I know we have to, but we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah, Excellent. the shrugging and talking about cultural details as well. It's probably the only zombie apocalypse film I've ever seen whereby the characters imbibe and indulge in fucking champagne and bread and wine. So that's the most French fucking thing <laughs> ever. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but I loved it. I was like, yeah, that's totally what I'd be doing yeah. as well, finding a farmhouse and just like going, well, if it's the end of the world, fuck it, you know. Fuck I it. want some Dom Perignon, <laughs> some fine rouge, and some really nice bread. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I really want to know now if this yeah. was a, a big influence on Resident Evil 4. Like I really want to know if there, if this, Me too. if this was an influence. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the best for you and the listeners to find out if there's any linking tissue or any references to it that there is, uh, that there can be. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we can, if we can find that. Let's uh, let's give a rating. I gave it four out of five. I thought it was great, really good, best film on this episode. Uh, that's which is not really much competition <laughs> by some margin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm worried that this podcast will turn no. into this film shit, this film's great, you know, when we had, you know, Comrades Almost a Love Story and Rave Macbeth. I mean, I liked Rave Macbeth for what it was, but... You liked Rave Macbeth. Yeah, yeah, but, like, I want to try and avoid that no, too. No, I... Yeah, that, that's a fair, fair point. I think so far it's been... Because also, at the same time, we want to keep it fresh in the sense that we want... We want it to be a little bit unpredictable what the ratings are going to be at the end. Oh, yeah. And I have to say, this one fell into that for me because I really... You know, there'd be a lot of people that you could have talking about this film that, you know, even if they're not familiar with the director, were big fans of kind of like cheapish, cheaply made mm. uh, Euro European horror from the 70s. And for me, apart from really like The Wicker Man, I can't really, or like Don't Look Now, mm. I can't really think of many I've seen, you know, within that milieu. So, um, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the movie and, and I think my rating would probably be three and a half. But like I said, like really, really liked it and I would hugely recommend everyone seek it out because yeah it's not much of an investment but so stuff like the photography in it as well is just it was it was surprisingly ravishing i thought he was quite a quietly impressive formalist despite his um mm. despite you know the shortcomings with the budget and stuff i thought oh yeah some of the landscape shots where the lens flares were coming through mm. um you know the sunsets and and the way that he a lot of his framing as well of the kind of rocky French countryside and you see kind of nature like kind of almost taking over some of the man-made structures like I I loved it I just Mm. thought it looked really really real and it had a real kind of detailed authenticity to it that that really elevated it for me so yeah three and a half but loved it and highly recommend it excellent we're going to do let's do a quick bit of any other business um 
before we wrap this up and I reveal what next uh, week's episode is, uh, I saw that you watched Whit Stillman's Barcelona, uh, a film I have not seen. I did. <gasps> You've not? No. That is... Because you and I are Woody fans, aren't we? We've talked about watching uh, the new Woody film a lot. And I always feel like Wit is kind of in that kind of bracket, yeah. that very literate, hyper New Yorkian, uh, New York-based kind of uh, author. Um, also making projects at a similar level now, like modern Woody probably mm. makes but um, works with similar budgets to where Wit has always worked. Mm. Um, although they are complete opposites in the sense that Wit will make has made probably what four four films in his entire career and. Woody probably made four last year, so <laughs> they're a little bit different in that sense. Do you know what makes me laugh? Um, is that but Whit, no, I think Whit Stillman's a big is, Whit Stillman is a big fan of Rifkin's Festival. Like he loves Rifkin's yes, Festival, nice, which is crazy. Yeah. I mean, I love him for it. Um, that is crazy. Yes. Anyway, sorry. Continue with your Whit Stillman chat. No, I was just going to say it was one of those that I thought because I'm sure I'm sure you've seen. Last Days of Disco yep. and uh, Damsels in Distress. Love and, Damsels and in Distress. Love and Friendship and stuff. Yep. Yeah, and Metropolitan. Um, so I would say if, if this is the one that you need to watch, I'll watch it now because for me, it's it's the best one. Oh. It's just so... <laughs> it's just so far and away my favourite. It's it's untrue. Like, I think I, I think I gave it like four or four and a half no, you um, dropped the on five. the first watch. The Absolutely adored time. it. But yeah, I've upped that to five because I just saw... This is this is film. This is a film for me. Like this film yeah. feels like it's directly speaking to me. Um, so witty, so funny, and um, it's also got a lot of themes and plot elements that are resonating with me right now as well, which probably led me to to giving it a bit of a boost on the rating because uh, I'm thinking about potentially moving to Europe. There's a lot of that in the film. These Americans have gone over to to live in Barcelona. Um, and loads of brilliant jokes around that as well. Like, mm. br- like not. I'm not just saying that to be hyperbolic. Like, brilliant, brilliant, like literary jokes. Like Philip Roth levels of like uh, c- comedic genius. Uh, really, really, really strong stuff. Like Woody in his absolute peak stuff. Like that's that just hits so good if you're a certain type of like neurotic freak. <laughs> um, and, which I am. Yeah. It just, I. Just, I just, which you are, yeah, yeah. Which I'm sure you are. That's why we're doing this podcast. Yeah. But yeah, hugely recommend that, and uh, would love to hear, obviously, a bit more about what you've been up to recently, Joe. I last night I watched the Last Dive, and that's the first film I've watched by this Portuguese filmmaker called João Cesar Monteiro. Uh, I tried to pronounce it properly. I know that Portuguese is a very difficult language to actually pronounce things uh, in their in <laughs> their is. way. Um, man. Some of it went way over my head, but this might be one of the best films I've ever seen. I'm not going to say too much about it. Um, you know, the plot is fairly simple about like an older guy who finds this young guy who wants to commit suicide. And he's like, listen, man, don't kill yourself. I, I want to kill myself as well, but let's not do it. Let's go out. Let's go have a drink. And uh, he was just like, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. And then he meets this prostitute and he's just like, that's the best prostitute in Lisbon. And he's like, oh, OK. And he said, like, that's my daughter as well to the young guy. And he's just like, oh, okay. And then he says to his daughter, can you get two of your friends and join us? And then the five of them go out for the evening. Uh, and then they go back to a hotel. They do their acts. And then the next night they meet up again. And they hang out a bit more. And then they go see an interpretive dance of some Greek tragedy. That This bit went way over my head. Where I'm like, well, it was a very nice dancing. But, you know, it's 25 minutes of it and I don't quite get it. 
Uh, and then it goes on from mm. there to its natural culmination. I described it as dazed and confused if it starred your man from uh, The Devil, probably. Um, i got to say that that's pretty much it. That is hype. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I loved this movie. Um, the thing is, is that there's about six or seven scenes in it that hit me really hard, and they were done in ways I'd never seen before. You know, they were so, mm. like, masterfully sort of constructed. Like, he would construct things in these ways that I had never really encountered before uh, I was I was really really impressed you know what actually I'm going to watch Barcelona tonight you try and watch The Last Dive if you've got the please time please do oh, oh I would love to yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely I think the thing about I think about Barcelona is it it feels like it feels a very familiar set of characters and plot that you've seen before mm. but just for me like everything's just working and operating on a level um, through the script and through the relatability of it that I've just not really experienced before because I'm never really one to my the films that I tend to really go oh that's a five star mm. masterpiece tend to be these more kind of like uh, poetic and abstracted visually and kind of thematically films whereas this was just like no this is just like pure literary genius tra- mm. transposed into a film so I think you'll really relate to that and the way you're describing this Portuguese film as well sounds like more of a typical five star thing for oh, me man. so I cannot wait to see yeah it. man so hold on what would be like a five star like the archetypal Gareth five star movie what would that be <laughs> um, it would either be something very like uh, early Hollywood um, like the Douglas Sirk melodramas right uh, All That Heaven Allows right uh, or some of the Hitchcock films uh, Marnie the Birds stuff like that stuff where I'm just like there is not a blemish on this movie mm. this is a master filmmaker making a perfect movie um, or it would go completely the other way on the more abstracted scale um, stuff like um, uh, Firewalk With Me David Lynch right okay um, or uh, what's that Kurosawa film that I watched recently um yeah, probably something. I was gonna say I was gonna say another one, but it, that's actually a bit more standardised. But something like Cure or Pulse right. as well. Okay. Um, just where I'm just like, there's 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 this almost like dream logic to the to mm. the film, and the film's style seems completely in tune with that. So it creates this like poetic kind of internal reality that no other filmmaker could have envisioned. Wow. And every single shot and every single you know, component part of the film like feeds into that mm. where you know you're in the hands of a master. Um, so that those tend to be the ones that I respond best to, I think. Interesting. Right. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We will be back next week. And my word, have I got a double bill for you? Uh, our A feature, Whoop. 1987's The Lady in a Black Dress by Yo- Yoichi Sai uh, from Japan and from France, directed by Patricia... Uh, Mazoy, I believe is how you say her name. Travolta and Me from 1993, uh, sort of made-for-TV French drama. Uh, which honestly, I just thought like these two, these are two movies I just want to watch. So I'm like, bung them together and see what happens. Totally. Hopefully, we'll find some sort of links there, and if not, hopefully, we'll watch two great movies. That's what I'm hoping for at all times. Um, so, listeners, you can jo- if you hey, dive man. into the mega folder down below. I don't know why I'm pointing. Why am I pointing? If you go to the mega folder, I did it again. If you go to the mega folder in the show's description, you can find a link to all the films that we talk about. (laughs) And um, yeah, enjoy, watch the films before we um, discuss them on the podcast and we'll be back next week. 
Thank you so much, Gareth, for joining me. And an- and another plug for the Instagram, sorry. Yes. If you get on that, guys, I promise to post some inane polls that might be quite fun to engage with. And anything you do send us. We did have a question actually through the Instagram that took umbrage with the fact that I called The Curse one of the best films of 2023. So I'll just take this brief opportunity to apologize for that. We've now hashed that out. But those are the kinds of things we want, guys. Like emails, uh, Twitter response. Um, yeah, Twitter responses, Instagram responses. And we promise to read out the best ones on the pod for sure. Excellent. Anyway, Gareth, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Joe. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week. Uh, goodbye. Oh,